0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Exchange by Pastor Sean Wood. Romans chapter 1. We'll we'll get there in a moment, but I'll tell you a quick story about two gentlemen. One was an Australian man. This is not a joke. One was an Australian man, one was an Indian man, and they started up an acquaintance. And uh, it was over the internet, and after some time, the Australian man... Says to the guy from India, he says, You know what? I'd love to come and see you. I'm coming to visit. I'll see you soon. So he gets on a plane, goes to India. He's walking the streets with his friend in India. And he says, You know, one thing that stands out to me is, He says, You're very open with your gods. He says, As I walk around, you've got many, many gods. He says, They're lining the streets. He says, They're everywhere. And the Indian man agrees and says, I can see what you mean. After some time, the the Australian man goes home and the Indian man says, you know what? I would like to come and see you in Australia. And as he comes over to Australia, he's walking the streets of Australia. He says to his Australian friends, he says, you know, he says, you too, my friend, are very open with your gods. He says, you don't call them gods, but you still worship them. He says, as I walk past your football stadiums and as I walk past your cars, as I walk past your houses, I begin to understand that you too, my friend, are very open with your gods. I'd like to introduce today uh, a passage from Romans uh, which I want to speak about the great exchange. Does everybody know what I've got in my hand here? Everybody should know what I've got in my hand here if you can't see it from the camera. It's a $1 Australian coin. And uh, right now, this this coin here is worth, it's valued at 100 Australian cents. But if I take this gold coin here, I don't think it's real gold, but if I take this gold coin here and I go to America and I give somebody in the bank this gold coin, they're likely to give me... 17 US cents for that one dollar probably now at the moment. You see, the problem is that uh, if I exchange this one coin in the US, they don't value it as much as what I do. And I'd like to put it out there this morning that perhaps we've done an exchange with God and maybe, maybe God isn't as valued as much as he should be because there's been an exchange. As we come to the book of Romans, we we, we know from history that uh, Paul has not started this church, he has not yet been to this church, he, he will find himself in Rome and he will die in Rome, but before he gets there, he writes a letter to a church that has been somewhat turbulent, I mean if, going, if you had to put your finger on one place on the global map in the time of Paul, if there, was, if there was one place you could put your finger on and say, I don't know if God could ever reshape that city, there are a bad lot there, it would be Rome. They were a they were a place known for worshipping many gods. The Romans had many gods. And Paul writes to a church that is actually flourishing in Rome. He writes to a church that had been established and then the the then emperor expels all the Jews from Rome. So the church grows as non-Jewish Christians. No problem with that. But the gospel they were sold was you have Jesus plus nothing. Greatest equation in the universe is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But then the Jews come back after five years and they say, you know what? We accept Jesus just like you guys do, but it's going to be Jesus plus. It's going to be Jesus plus circumcision and all the men sighed. It's going to be Jesus plus our ceremonies all throughout the year. It's going to be Jesus plus. And who knows that Jesus plus anything actually equals nothing. And so there was a, A division in the church. Paul wants to write one message to a church to unify them. He wants to write one message that's going to break down all of the walls, is going to break down all of the cultural barriers, is going to stop separating men and women and stop separating Jews and Greeks. And believe it or not, it's the same message that's going to let Italians into the kingdom of God. Who would have thought, brother? Who would have thought? But they come in first because they're driving all the good cars. But he writes the message and what does he write? He writes the gospel. And we have made a mistake because so often we think the gospel's only for non-Christians. It is for non-Christians. It is for those that are searching for God. Absolutely. It is the power of God for salvation. We read that just recently. But it's also the gospel is the message for us. We don't start at the gospel and go on to the deep things of God. Friends, the gospel is the deep thing of God. As we journey through Romans, let me whet your appetite with the fact that Romans chapter 6 and what it means to be dead to sin probably doesn't mean what you think it means. And you know what? By the time we get to Romans chapter 8, we're going to discover that we don't have to be afraid of words like foreknowledge and predestination. They're not as scary as people make them out to be. They're there for a purpose. But we can't get to Romans chapter 8 and we're never going to understand Romans chapter 6 until we go through Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5. And as we've worked our way through Romans chapter 1 just recently, we've learned that the power of God lies in the gospel message. We understood that the righteousness from God, which is everything that, that Paul is now unpacking, the righteousness of God is its kind of like... The best way to understand it is, if, I was, if there was a position open in the astrophysics department, lecturing on astrophysics in the university here in Queensland, who knows that if I applied, that they probably wouldn't give my resume a second look. Reason is, they would take one quick look at my resume and they would say, Sean, you don't have any qualifications to hold that position. And they're right, I don't. But... As we find out in the gospel message, we have no qualifications to approach God. We have no qualifications to stand before God. If we were to give our resume to God, he wouldn't give that a second look. So what Jesus does is he says, you know what? You take my resume. That's what the righteousness of God is. The righteousness of God is you don't have to earn your way to holding that position before God. I'll give it to you for free. You just have to believe in Christ. There's not much free in this world today. Have you noticed that? There's not much that comes for free. Here's the irony of the gospel, and Romans will absolutely expose this by the time we're finished. Righteousness is absolutely free. Salvation is an absolutely free gift of God. But friends, the irony is it will eventually cost you everything. That's the irony. And Jesus didn't put it in the fine print. He laid it straight out to begin with when he says, if you will come after me, you must take up your cross deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you did that today, how many people would follow you? But yet Jesus has millions of followers. As we come to Romans chapter 1, verse 21... It says, for although they knew God, and Paul is now removing excuse. Do you know we live in an age, we, we, a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at ch- verses 18, 19 and 20, we, we live in an age today that's full of excuses. Uh, I ran a forestry crew with 20 guys. It was hard work, I admit that. But by the time I'd worked in the forestry for something like five years, I could have written an encyclopedia of excuses of why I can't come to work. These these guys were fantastic. These guys had some... I I had one guy whose grandma passed away twice in six months. (laughs) We live in an age where everybody's got an excuse and nothing happens to be your fault. Now, I don't want to remove the fact that most people in this room, if we went around, most people here have been hurt at some point in their lives. Some people may have had terrible backgrounds. I want to introduce you to the healer. But I also want to introduce you to the book of Romans that says, when you stand before God, none of that is going to cut it as an excuse. When you stand before God, you're not going to be able to turn around and go, well, my mum or dad, they're not going to be there. And Paul says, I preempt your objections. When you say that people are ignorant, how can they be held account? And Paul says, how can they be held account? Have a look outside. It's obvious. That something must be bigger than us. I believe that was the testimony of your wonderful grandfather, who said one day, sitting in his lounge room, he turned to his wife and he says, June, there's got to be something bigger than us. He's right. It just makes sense. So we come to verse 21 and Paul says, for although they knew God, and he's pointing to the fact that, you know what? As we look at the world around us, congratulations, by the way, everybody, you're currently standing on a rock that is spinning at 64,000 miles an hour and has done for many, 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 many years. i not going to use the word millions yet. I'll introduce that later on. But this rock has been spinning at 64,000 miles an hour in precise orbit for many, 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 many years. But that just came out of randomness and chaos and disorganisation. It takes more faith to be an atheist today. It takes more faith to believe that everything came from nothing than perhaps somebody may have been behind it. That's what Paul is saying. Come on, you guys, you know there's something behind this. You know there's somebody behind this. For although they knew God, Ravi Zacharias puts it beautifully when he says, God has revealed just enough of himself to make faith reasonable, but at the same time hidden just enough of himself to make faith essential. There is enough around everybody to go, something here doesn't quite add up. We didn't just end up here. One of the most aggressive atheists of recent times, a man by the name of Richard Dawkins, who came up with some preposterous ideas of how we could find such complex order in this universe, has recently moved, in 2012, has recently moved from adamant atheist to... Agnostic. agnostic actually doesn't exist. They just invent this agnostic as this is the middle ground between uh, there is no God to, I don't want to admit the fact that there's a God, so I'm going to call myself an agnostic, but I, atheism no longer makes sense. So he goes from <coughs> atheism to agnostic. Bertrand Russell did exactly the same thing, and moments before he passed away, he went, I believe in God. Interesting. For although they knew God, says Paul, he goes on and says in verse 21, they did not honour him as God. And so often we think that honour looks like medals, and you won't find a medal big enough to hang around God's neck. So often we think that honour looks like medals, or maybe it looks like the words that we use when we express, but uh, that word honour really could be interchanged in the Greek with the word value. And I'm not sure who read the pastor's comments this morning, but for the one or two of you that read them, uh, we spoke about value because for me, you can say you value something or you like, but we really see what you value in your actions and in your life. Paul says, although they know God, they don't, they don't value him. They don't value him as God. The analogy I gave in the pastor's comments was of two men in Leviticus chapter 10. If you read your way through Leviticus, you're going to find the most exciting part of it is actually chapter 10. Uh, The rest of it is reasonably just ordinances and, you know, right thumb, left ear. Actually points to the fact that God is very particular with process, which is interesting. But in chapter 10, something happens after all the regulations for worship have been handed down, the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, decide that they're going to do worship their way. You know many thousands of years, just as a digression, many thousands of years, people still think they can do worship their way, which is interesting. And the Hebrew word says that they offered strange fire or unauthorised fire before God. They, they went against all the ordinances that Moses had just handed down and what they actually did was in their actions, they actually showed a complete disregard for God and they completely showed that they didn't value him at all and they were consumed. And Moses comes to Aaron and says, Aaron, the Lord has said that those that will be near him He must be sanctified. You could also change that word for valued or honoured. In fact, in the first epistle of Peter, he changes that word from honour to sanctify. You can change it in the Greek any way you like. But uh, the whole epistle of 1 Peter hinges on chapter 3, verse 15, where it says, Honour Christ. as Lord in your hearts or sanctify Christ in your hearts as Lord in the Greek. And what it means when we sanctify something is we take something that is considered to be ordinary and we put it in the place of the very special. We set it apart. It's kind of like when somebody comes over to your house for dinner, you don't get the old crockery out. You have that special set of crockery for when I come over for dinner. When Basil comes over, who's not here this morning, you have that special organic kale that you'll keep in the cupboard. He'll watch this and then he'll say, I heard that. But what the word sanctify means is take from ordinary to the special. And what, uh, what God is saying is if you're going to live close to me, if you want to really know the closeness of my presence, then you're, you're going to have to value me. It's going to have to look like something in your life and you're going to have to sanctify me in your heart. I'm going to have to go from the ordinary place to the very special. And I want to ask you today, is God in the ordinary space or the very special? The gospel has a very definite way of defining what it is that we value. Paul says, although they knew God, they didn't value him. They didn't recognize him, but they became futile in their thinking. The word futile means vain or empty. If you were here when we went through the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll understand what vanity means. But I want to make a link here because Paul is going to make a link in a moment. He says, although they knew God, they didn't value God and now their thinking has become and you don't, if you become something, you're not born that way. Who knows, you're not born anything. If you become something, you weren't born that way. It's interesting that when they speak about Judas, every single scripture says Judas became a traitor. He wasn't born that way, he made a choice. And what Paul is saying here is, he says, uh, they have rejected God, they're valuing something else, and they've become futile in their thinking. The thoughts have become empty, their thoughts have become vain. And so many people come to me and say, Pastor, I I, I kind of understand the Word of God, but I don't know what the pathway is from here to my heart. I, I, I just don't get it. And I want to tell you this, the The distance between here and here is meditation. That doesn't look like sitting somewhere with your legs crossed and your fingers like this. Because the older you get, you can't cross your legs. But what it does mean is, in fact, the Hebrew word for meditate means to mutter. It means to ponder. It means to talk over. It means to discuss. The difference between here, and it's the same in the negative, Uh, The negative goes from here to here as you ponder it. I love how Martin Luther put this. Martin Luther says, you know what? When it comes to thoughts in your mind, you, you can't stop the birds flying overhead, but you can stop them making nests in your hair. And Paul says, these guys are letting the vultures nest in their hair. And it's having an effect. And the effect effect he goes on to say is, their foolish hearts have become darkened. They've rejected God. They've valued something else. I want everybody in this room to know one immutable truth. Please, please hear me this morning when I say, no matter what sphere of life you are from, you are worshipping. If you're not worshipping God, you're worshipping something or you're worshipping someone. Every person was put on the planet and you were designed to worship and you are worshipping because worship isn't... So many people think, well, worship's just when Chris Tomlin turns up. Isn't that, isn't that worship? When Chris Tomlin turns up and we start tinkering on the keyboard. <coughs> well, that's not what worship is. That's a fruit of worship, yes. Worship is best described by Abraham and Isaac. What was worship for Abraham? That's the first time we see the word worship. Me and the lad are going to worship, he says. And God had told Abraham to take his son up the mountain, and I'm thinking of taking a few of mine up. (laughs) (laughs) I've let them rule. All of them have read Genesis 22, and one day we're going to go for a walk from a mountain, and I'm going to have no goats. (laughs) They can fill in the blanks. But worship was, he got up early. (laughs) You He didn't get up in the morning and have another prayer meeting to see if God was actually serious. He didn't do any of that. He got up early in the morning. He said to everybody that was there, he said, me and the lad are going to worship. And worship for Abraham was, I'm going to do what God told me to do. Uh, And and in fact, worship isn't about, I'm not going to wait for Chris Tomlin to come to Mount Moriah. That's not what I'm waiting for. No, worship for me is everything that I do with my body. And I want to tell you that there's people inside of this room and outside of this room that are worshipping everything apart from God. Because there's been an exchange. We know God. We don't value him as God. We've become futile in our thinking, he says. He's talking about the human condition. And I I thank God that he did because against the backdrop of human nature, the gospel, the jewel of the gospel shines ever so brightly. And they did something. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. There was an exchange that took place and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Paul goes on and says, for things that are common to us, basically. Instead of worshipping the Creator, they worshipped what is created. I want to talk to you about a, briefly about a man by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah Jeremiah begins his uh, ministry, work this one out guys, he begins prophesying to the king at 12 years of age, at 12 years of age he walks into the king and tells the king he's got to repent, <laughs> it doesn't go down real well, but right at the start of the book of Jeremiah and to an idolatrous, an idolatrous generation. Here was the condition of the people of God. And we think these prophecies are written to non-believers. But Jeremiah, the whole book of Jeremiah is written to the people of God. And he says, you know what? He says, once upon a time, you could, there used to be a presence behind the veil. If you peeled the veil back, there was, a, there was a presence in there. He says, now we peel the veil back and there's your idols sitting in there. You've got all the pomp and ceremony, says Jeremiah, out on the steps. You're you know, you're slaughtering the animals, you're, you're reading all the right words, you're saying everything right. The priest is dressed all nice and fancy, but you know what? After the service, when we pull back the curtain, there's all your idols that you're worshipping. Jeremiah put it like this in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, for my people have committed two evils. Evil number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And that's the condition that Paul has just highlighted. They're they're valuing everything else. They've forsaken me. They know that I'm God, but they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. But here's the second evil, and it's the one we see not only outside churches, but we see it inside the church as well. They've hoed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can't hold any water. Jeremiah walks in before the king and says that at 12 years of age. Unbelievable. And if only Jeremiah knew that the words he spoke thousands of years ago would apply so prevalently today. For people say, no, 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 we don't have any idols, we don't have anything else. Anything else that has weight in your life. Because that's what glory means. They exchange the glory of God. It means an estimation. That's what it means here in the Greek. It means an estimation or an opinion. It's the, it's the estimation or it's the opinion that we hold of God. They exchange that. No, we haven't done that. When I look on YouTube... And people tell me that they're worshipping God while they're running around making chicken noises and barking like a dog. That doesn't glorify God at all. You've exchanged something. You can call it drunken, whatever you like. But we've exchanged it. We are enormously challenged by our brothers in the Philippines. You know, a, a tornado hits the Philippines, wipes out their building. We get the news Typhoons wiped out half of our building. What are they doing? Standing outside on a Sunday morning, praising and worshipping God. But yet we get up Sunday morning and if it's too nice a day, we might go to the beach. Yet we get up Sunday morning and all we're worried about is uh, what temperature it's going to be. Or or is it raining? Or where am I going to park? Or or is he going to preach too long? Is he going to preach at all? The songs are too loud, the songs are too soft, the songs are too old, the songs are too new and we're exchanging the whole time because what we're actually doing is we're putting more importance on all of that than the person who's waiting here for each and every single one of us. There was a change for Israel. It took them 70 years to get it. Jeremiah said, have a listen to the people of God in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, if you don't repent, this place is going to be sacked. The walls will be torn down. The temple is going to be laid bare. <laughs> and all the people are going, what are you talking about? You're a false prophet. These walls will never fall. God would never destroy this temple. As they were saying, as they were being marched off to Babylon. Jeremiah prophesied, Jeremiah was ignored, but when Babylon sacked Jerusalem, the first order that was given to the men that went into the city, find Jeremiah. Nebuchadnezzar said, "Find Jeremiah." His reputation had spread. <clears throat> A young man by the name of Daniel, the diplomatic prophet, picks up the prophecies of Jeremiah in the time of exile. But well, when Israel is restored, she's much better than she was before. And I wonder today, as we look across the landscape of the church, I, I wonder today what would happen if we peeled back the curtain in our hearts. You see, when we speak about the heart, we're not talking about the thing that's pumping blood, and <laughs> pastors, lucky if we've got one anyway, right? But at the end of the day, heart is more about our will and our emotions. And our desires. It's actually the sphere of divine influence in our lives. And whatever condition your heart is in, it drives the rest of your life. If your heart is set on having more, Jesus came with a real radical message. He said, You know what? Get rid of it all. The most important thing you can have in this life is Christ. Don't worry about houses. Don't worry about kingdoms. Don't worry about cars. Don't worry about whether you get that promotion or not. Don't worry about how much money's in your bank. Just worry about where your heart is with me. That's all that matters. The people of God had made an exchange back in the time of Jeremiah. The people of God, I believe today, to easily make that exchange. These images look like many different things but this worship is best described, I want to finish with this this morning, this worship is best described in Exodus chapter 32 and Israel has been brought out of Egypt, Israel has come to the mountain of God and they have seen the glory of God descend upon the mountain. And they say to Moses, You know what? You go up and talk to God because we're a little bit going to change our underpants down here. But you go up, and Moses goes up there and he's up there for 40 days. And they come to Aaron. Nothing's changed. Let me read to you. I wasn't going to, but let me read to you the start of Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together. Be warned, when people get together, sometimes it's not the greatest idea. They gathered themselves together to Aaron and they said to him, Up, make us gods. Aaron, make us gods. They come to the men of God, they come to the priests, they come to Aaron and they say, Make us gods. Sounds familiar. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. He received the gold, and he fashioned it. He took the time and he fashioned a golden calf and not only were they worshipping, they got up to dance, they got up to to sing, they got up to worship this image that Aaron had created, but they made one enormous mistake. It wasn't the fact necessarily just so bad that they had an idol, but they called this idol Yahweh. This was the God that led them up out of Egypt. (coughs) God says something very challenging to Moses. He says to Moses, he says, go down to your people. Moses pleads with God and God relents, but the, the, the exchange is the same today. We want to reduce the immutable glory of God to something we can see, to something we can control, to somebody who we try to understand. If you're trying to understand God, please give up. You will never in this lifetime be able to fully understand God. Yes, you can know him. Yes, you can live with him. But he is too big for us to understand. And he is far too big and far too glorious to be controlled by any one of us. There's been another exchange that we're going to uncover as we go through. As we go through the book of Romans, we're going to uncover another great exchange. <laughs> the greatest exchange in the universe where Jesus comes down and says, you know what? He says, here's all your sin. Here's all of your idolatry. Here's all of the exchanges you've made in your life. He says, I'm going to take that. He says, I'm going to take all of this bad. He says, I'm going to put that inside of me. He says, and I'm going to exchange you all of your bad, says Jesus. And I'm going to give you all of my good. You can stand before God just as if I was standing before God. You can can speak to God like I speak to God. You can even call him father. Nobody called God father before Jesus. Nobody. They stoned you if you did. Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to take all of your bad. And I'm going to exchange it for my good. And as we finish this morning, I'd like to ask everybody here a couple of questions. The first one is, what value does God have in your life? I have a testimony that some years ago I preached a message at Lagana, which was called Sanctify the Lord. It It was a message at that time about Joseph. But from that day on, I have prayed that the Lord would sanctify himself in my heart. <laughs> and be careful if you pray that. God doesn't share territory. But what value does God have in your life? This isn't about the person sitting next to you, this is about you. Do you have broken systems in your life? Things that you're trying to draw water from, but you're still thirsty. Let's pray. Jesus, you are glorious. Three disciples got a snippet of your glory on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration and it revolutionized their life. I pray that every person in this room would get that same snippet and that you would revolutionize our lives that you would sanctify yourself as holy in our hearts, that you would remove all the broken cisterns and that we as your people would once again come to the fountain of living water. Lord, lead us back to the fountain of living water, I pray, that we would drink from only one place. I pray, Lord, that we would exchange back and that you would have the highest value in our lives in all that we do.